we're going to jump right into it, and i got to be honest with you today. Today's probably not one of those days that we beat the Baptist to brunch, okay? Uh, <laughs> praise God for this time of worship today, um, but I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at what i got to share. Is it all right if we go a little bit longer today? Is that okay with you? I'm doing it anyway, but I just want to be polite and ask. Have you ever heard the statement before, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship? I want to push back on that just a little bit this morning because Christianity is really a religion. Okay, let me give you a dictionary definition of religion. It is a set of beliefs that is passionately held by a group of people that is reflected in a worldview and expected beliefs and actions. Okay, so Christianity as we know it is a religion. Those who call themselves Christians, we share a set of beliefs that is passionately held and hopefully it's reflected in your worldview and in your actions. Now at the heart of this religion though, we know this, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we say that Christianity is not a religion but a relationship, I, I wonder, do we actually live like that? Oswald Chambers said it this way, the main thing about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain and the atmosphere produced by that relationship. Let me read that again. The main thing about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain and the atmosphere produced by that relationship. That is all God asks us to look after, and it is the one thing that is continually being assailed. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 12, right, where one of the scribes comes to Jesus and he says to him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus, just give me, give me number one because I want to make sure that I don't miss that. And Jesus goes back to the Shema, right, in Deuteronomy. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We've been in a series where we're talking about knowing God and we said we, first week we said we can know that God exists. And then last week we said we can know that God can be known. The thing that always blows my mind, though, as we dig into this, as we think about this, is the fact that the God of the universe actually invites us into a relationship with him. He invites you and I to, to know him personally, right? Not nearly, merely to know about him or know of him. He invites us into a real relationship. God's desire for us is to have a, get this, a firsthand knowledge of who he is. We can't live off the faith of our grandparents or our parents. God calls each of us to know him for ourselves, to be intimate with him. The, the pages of scripture are full of stories of people who have experienced God in some significant ways. The, the accounts of Scripture reveal to us what it actually means to know God. Now, where does the story begin? We know it begins in a garden, right? Where God took some of the dust of the earth and he shaped it and he formed it and he breathed into the dust the very breath of life. Now, if that sounds crazy to you, that God took dust and he breathed into it and there was life, just think about this. One day you and I are going to breathe out our last breath, and when we do, we become dust. doesn't seem too crazy to me, right? It seems to make sense. But we read in the story in Genesis, and we just kind of read it over, right? But think about this. If God breathed into Adam the breath of life, what is the first thing that Adam saw the very first moment of his existence? God, right? Face to face with someone who says, I, I created you. I, I just made you. 
think about the questions like, who are you? Who, who am I, right? What is this beautiful place? I doubt Adam looked God in the face and just kind of said, eh, you know what? And walked away, right? Can, can you imagine? He's face to face with God. Adam lived in this relationship with God. He walked with him. He talked with him. He partnered with God. God said, you know what would be really cool, Adam? What if I make all the animals and then you name them? How cool would that be, right? God knew Adam. He, he saw his needs. He provided for his needs. When no suitable helper was found for Adam, God, God put Adam into a deep sleep and he withdrew from his side a rib and he made woman, right? And Adam and Eve communed together with God. They recognized the sound of him walking in the garden. They experienced God in a way that sometimes we don't even understand, right? They knew the presence and they knew the peace of God in their lives. I hope when you hear that, that you get jealous, like, listen, if, if there's nothing in you that when you hear that, you say, that would be amazing, right? To know God like that, to get to be with God like that, I got to say, you just don't get it yet. See, when we talk about God, understand he is first and foremost a relational God. One of the most important truths the Trinity teaches us is about relationships, right? That unity and love must always go together. The oneness of God and the love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're not separate. And so how do we experience God in our lives? I want to share with you some keys today to experiencing God in your life, but also some hindrances to knowing him. But the danger of a message like this is it could become so pragmatic. You know what I mean? Like, like a checklist. Like these are the 10 things you do and, and you'll know God. Listen, I counsel a lot of couples and I, I don't send the guys home with a checklist generally, all right? Can you imagine, uh, wives, if your husband had a checklist on his nightstand, right? Tell my wife I love her today. I love you, honey. Check, right? Give her a kiss. Check. I did that. Spend time with her. Check. I did that, right? Understand, in our lives, we invest in relationships out of a desire to be with someone else. And it's crazy because in the church today, if you hear someone say, man, I spent four hours in prayer today, we're like, you're nuts, man. What are you, like, super fanatic? What are you, crazy? But if someone says, I just spent the day with my wife, you're like, well, that makes sense, right? And God calls us into this relationship, and it's not based on a checklist. In the same way you would invest into earthly relationships, we are invited to invest in our relationship with God. God desires to meet us in order to show the realness of his person and his presence. We experience him with his presence this morning, amen? He's with us. We can know him intimately and we can know him personally. Understand, the Bible's not some checklist, but it's a guide to go deeper in your relationship with God. And it has to take into account a desire to love Jesus. You see, the problem with pragmatics is it doesn't take into account desire. And if you don't love Jesus, then none of the rest of what I say this morning is going to make a difference to you. Because if it's just a checklist without desire, it's not going to happen. It's why Jesus said to the scribe, right, to one who had the checklist, right, here's how I obey God. He said, here's the most important command. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. One of the things that saddens me in the church in America is I don't see a lot of that. I hear a lot of, well, you got to hear this sermon, or you got to check out this new worship song, or you, you got to read this book. But what I don't hear a lot of people saying is, oh, Pastor, I, I was just with Jesus this morning. It was just me and him. And he was speaking to me, and it was just so good 
just to be in his presence and, and to be with him. I, I didn't want to leave that. I, I don't hear a lot of that. But what is this book all about? Again, we say it's not a religion, it's a relationship, but I don't hear a lot of verbiage in the church so often that speaks to a relationship. Ladies, when you're in a relationship, especially at the beginning, man, you can't wait to talk to your girlfriends about that guy, right? Oh, you won't believe what he did. He got me roses. It was so wonderful, right? It's, he's so romantic, right? 20 years later, it's like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what he did. But at least at the beginning, right? It's like, you, you want to talk about it, that, that relationship. Listen, when you're in a love relationship, you got to talk to somebody about it. And the Word of God tells us in Scripture how God would meet with man face to face, right? Not visibly, but this intimacy, this relationship. Moses is on the mountaintop and the cloud of God's presence settles in and he comes down from the mountain, right? And his face is literally glowing with the presence of God. He would go to the tent of meeting where the cloud would settle there and people knew, man, the presence of God is in that tent. And after Moses left, his servant Joshua would remain there in the tent. Why? Because he didn't want to depart from God's presence. We read about men like Abraham. He was called a friend of God. King David continually speaks of this desire in his life for God's presence. Think about it. He's in some of the most difficult places in life. And he would cry out, my soul thirsts for the living God. I'm in a dry and a, and a weary land. I'm in a, in a difficult place. But Jesus, Lord, I just want you, God. He says in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Listen, the pages of scripture are full of stories of people who were obsessed, obsessed with the presence of God. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? He's saying, man, I can't wait till I die because I get to be with him. He says, I, I just want Jesus so much that everything else in this world is just crap. Can I say that? Is that all right? It's dung. It's garbage, right? He says it's refuse compared to knowing him. Understand, church, this book is first and foremost about communion with God. And what does the end of the book say? God says, I'm going to be with you again. I'm going to be with you in that same relationship. We're going back to the garden, if you will. That's what heaven's all about. No more sickness. No more pain. And more than anything, we are in the presence of God. Listen, if you're not desirous for the presence of God, then don't be too excited about heaven, all right? Listen, when it all comes down to it, it's about our desire for God. And what are we producing as a church, if not lovers of Jesus? Like people who are so consumed with the presence of God, they, they just can't get enough of it. Listen, if you're not in love with Jesus, then what does all of this matter, right? Like, like, forget missions. I'm, I'm not really saying forget me, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Right? Like, if I don't have a passion for Jesus, like, like, let's drop this discipleship thing. Like, why would I want you discipling anyone, right? Like, if you don't love Jesus, then you're in no place to reproduce yourself. Why would you want two people who don't love Jesus, right? Like, like think about it. If, if you live out your life and, and your faith in a way that you're always stressed and you're always worried and you're always angry. There's no fruit of the Spirit in your life, but you're trying to lead others to Jesus. Like, man, I want no part of that, right? Listen, as a church, we want to make disciples who make disciples. Okay, it's about multiplication. 
but what are we multiplying if not lovers of Jesus? Those who love God with all of their heart and all of their mind and all their soul and all their strength. It comes back to motive. It comes back to the heart. And if you don't have that love for Jesus today, like, like that desire just, just to know him, right? I love YWAM's mission statement. It's to know God and make him known, right? And if you don't have that desire to know, to, to be with him, just be honest with him, okay? Like you don't have to fake it till you make it. Just say, Jesus, I'm not feeling it, right? I'm lacking that desire in my life for you. And so, Lord, would you give me a passion to know you? Would you give me a passion for your presence, that that desire would be in my life on a regular basis? And so all that's introduction, okay? Here's some ways that we can experience God in relationship. I encourage you, if you have the note sheet, grab a pen. If you don't have a pen, look for the lady in your aisle with the biggest purse. I want to give you seven things today, seven keys. And again, these are, have to be motivated by our love for God. Number one is this, seek God. Jeremiah 29, 13, God makes a promise to his people. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I want to tell you the same promise stands for us today. When we seek God with all of our hearts, we actually find him. And when we spend time in the scriptures and we live in a relationship with God, you see he begins to reveal more and more of his character to you, more and more of his ways. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. We talked about that week one. But we also need to believe this, that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. And what is the reward? The reward is actually him. You know that today? It's his presence. When you seek God, you're rewarded with the knowledge of him and his presence in your life. Number two, I would say this, love God. Again, going back to the Shema, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. Listen, one way we express our love for God is in our worship of him. We just had a sweet time in his presence this morning, right? We're expressing our, our love to God. It's a response to what he's already done in our lives. And as we learn about God and his word, we can actually take what we learn and turn it around and use it in adoration to him. There, there's no greater worship songbook than the book of Psalms, right? Like you can read through the Psalms, but do you know you can also pray the Psalms? You can use the Psalms to give thanks, to praise and worship God. Number three, I would say this, speak to God. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Listen, as God puts things on your heart, as you're living in relationship with him, and he puts things on your heart, and you, you begin to pray those things, here's what you'll find. Your prayers will get more and more specific, okay? Because the Spirit of God will direct you in your prayer time. And when you pray in this way, you're actually partnering with God to advance his kingdom. And so the things that we pray for, we actually see come to pass, right? How amazing is that? Next, I would say this, wait on God. Yes, we are a very active society. Some of you have checked your watches a few times already, right? I got a place to go, Pastor. We're always on the move, right? And so here's the thing. We need to build into our lives times when we can quietly wait on God and just allow him to speak to us. If we're going to follow him, 
we need to hear his voice. David said it this way, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How many of you parents know there's a difference between waiting and waiting patiently, right? <laughs> there's, there's a huge difference between waiting and waiting patiently, but it's in the waiting, listen to me, it's in the waiting that we hear his voice. It's in the waiting that we hear his voice. Jesus said very clearly, my sheep hear my voice. He says, I know them, and they what? They follow me. They follow me. Next, I would say this, obey God. Obey God. One of the greatest ways to grow in the knowledge of God is by walking in daily obedience to him. Most Christians don't need a greater knowledge of who God is. They simply need to begin obeying what God has already said, okay? And, and as you obey him, here's the thing, you actually get to know him. You actually get to know him. You want to grow in your faith? Step out in obedience and see God's faithfulness. You want to know how to experience God in your life? As he leads and he guides you, obey him completely. Cultivate, even right now, this heart that says, man, I'm ready, God. <laughs> I want to delight in obeying your word. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what? Will do what I say. And he says this, my father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. He's saying, if you love me, you will obey. And when you obey, when you walk in obedience to my word and what I'm saying in your life, you open the door to your life so that I can be with you. We're actually walking with God when we obey him. Next, I would say this, trust God. Listen, there are times in our walk with God when we're not seeing the results that we want to see. Anybody ever been there, right? This is not happening on, on, in the way that I want to see it happen. God, what's going on, right? But we have to understand today, this does not mean that God's not at work. Like we sing it, but do we believe it? Even when I don't see him, he's, right? Even when I don't feel it, he's, he's working behind the scenes. And so we have to trust him. We have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and, and lean not on our own understanding in all of our ways we acknowledge him and he directs our paths. To know God in greater ways, we need to trust him in all circumstances of life. Next, I would say this, fear God. Now, we don't talk about the fear of God much these days. Understand, for the unbeliever, the fear of God is the fear of judgment, right? It's eternal death, eternal separation from God. However, for the believer, the fear of God is something much different. The believer's fear is a reverence of God. Hebrews 12, 28 is a good description of this. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This reverence and awe is exactly what the fear of God means for us as Christians. This is the motivating factor for us to surrender to the creator of the universe. Proverbs 1.7 declares, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? And until we understand who God is, until we develop this reverential fear of him in our lives, we cannot have true wisdom. True wisdom comes only from understanding who God is and that he's holy and he's just and he's righteous. Now, we all know that in earthly relationships, there are times when 
even good friends grow distant, right? Maybe you're going in different directions, you're, you're busy for a season, and you lose sight sometimes of those who were very important to you, right? And this same thing can happen in our relationship with God. If we belong to him, understand this, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, and yet we all know there are times when we lose sight of God because of the distractions of this world. And so here's some factors that can be a hindrance from knowing God as we ought to know him. Number one is distortion. Distortion. Understand the word of God gives us a clear picture of who he is and what he's like. It tells us who we are. But the world is constantly feeding us with lies about God, about his word, about who we are. And so what are you feeding your soul with today? Are you feeding it with truth in God's word or are you feeding it with lies? I want to tell you, if you spend more time on your feed than feeding on the word, I can tell you where that's going to lead you, okay? And it's not going to be good. Because the devil's plan from the very beginning is still the same plan he has today. It's this, to make you question who God is and what God says. What did Satan say to Eve in the garden, Genesis 3.1? He said to the woman, did God actually say, Right? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Listen, truth is under assault in our world today. It it just is. And Satan will so often twist or distort truth. And we as the church, we need to be able to discern what is of God and what's not of God. Right now, there's all this talk about gender dysphoria in our world today, right? And and it's, it's a real thing. But here's the reality. Studies show that for most children that struggle with gender dysphoria in regards to their gender, right, it usually works itself out by the time they're 13 or so. And so what's happening right now is there are activists, and that's the only way I can say it, that know this and are targeting our children younger and younger to bring confusion into their lives, right? And if you think this is happening far off, it's not. It's happening in our public schools. It's happening in the elementary school I sent my children to, okay? fourth and fifth graders being asked to define their pronouns. Did God really say you're a boy? Because maybe you're not. And and if you want to say something different than what God says, we're not just okay with that. We're actually going to celebrate that. Like, how distorted is that? I'm going to tell you, it's nothing short of child abuse, okay? If, If you think that sounds harsh... Just read Luke 17 too, okay, if you think that sounds harsh. Now more than ever, we need strong Christian schools. I'm thankful for Cornerstone Christian School right here in the building. Some of you parents need to check it out, right? If my kids were young, there's no way I would send them to the public schools to be indoctrinated. And hear me, some of you are teachers in the public schools. I applaud you. I pray for you. Pray that God will give you the strength to stand in that place. And if your children are in those schools, I hope that you're involved and you're aware of what's being taught so you can counter the lies of the enemy. When they're hearing, did God really say? You can say, yeah, God said. Let me show you what he says. It's not just happening in our our elementary schools. It's happening in our colleges. Some of you are going to pay $100,000 to send your kid to an indoctrination camp. And if they're not strong in the word of God, they're going to be led astray. Listen, it's so important to understand who God is and who he's created you to be. Because if you have a false view of what God is like, it's going to keep you from knowing him intimately and deeply. 
This is why we not only need to read the Word of God, but we need to allow the Word to renew our mind and to change our thinking, to, to deal with wrong, wrong views of God so that we can begin to actually see Him for who He truly is. And so distortion is a hindrance to knowing God. Secondly, I would say apathy. It's, it's amazing how being in a place of need can make us so desperate for God, right? When things are happening, and, and that's one of the blessings of this whole COVID thing, right? I think it's allowed some people just to press into God. God, I need you. I, I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need your hand over my life, right? But in the same way we know this, that when everything's going good, when I got all the money in the bank, my 401k is doing good, right? We can become apathetic in our relationship with God. And it doesn't mean that possessions are evil. Money is not evil. That's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And so here's what we need to do when we see the blessings of God in our lives. We need to remember that he has blessed us to be a blessing. He has given us all that we have so we can bless others and we can advance the kingdom. And when we recognize our daily need for God, daily need for God, I need you today, it will keep us from apathy in our lives. Next, I would say independence. Well, independence, that's a good thing, isn't it? Like declaration of it. Like isn't independence a good thing? But here's the reality. In the same way, it's easy at times to begin relying on our wisdom when things go right for us. I've got it all figured out, and so I withdraw from God. I withdraw from the truth of his word. I withdraw from godly counsel in my life. I got this figured out. I don't need to ask nobody, right? And yet the whole essence of our walk with him is that we will live not in independence, but in complete dependence on his character and his presence and his power in our lives. Now, the next hindrance is an obvious one. It's sin. You've probably heard the definition of sin in this way. It is missing the mark, right? Like, here's God's plan, and, and you're over here, <laughs> and you're doing your own thing. But really, sin is anything that is contrary to the law or will of God. If you've lied, you've sinned, right? Why? Because God said don't lie, right? If you do what God has forbidden, yes, you've sinned. In the same way, if you don't do what God has commanded, you've sinned. Sin is lawlessness and unrighteousness. Sin leads to blindness and death. And the power of sin, I like to think of it this way, is centrifugal. Those of you who uh, are older like me, remember those things on the playground? Remember those things you'd spin and metal things? I don't know why they don't have those. Those were the best, right? And, and, you know, you get that thing going fast and kids start flying off left and right. It was crazy, right? But, but understand this today. When sin is at work in your life, it has a tendency to push everything to the edges. Like bits and pieces go flying off until only the core is left and eventually the core itself goes flying out until the, in the end nothing is left. The wages of sin is death. That's Paul's way of saying it. Many people continue in sin in life because they presume on the kindness of God. Oh, God, God will forgive me. Many people continue in sin, but listen to me. Sin will always take you further than you want to go and it will always cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will cost you intimacy with the God of the universe. It's definitely not worth the trade-off. Next, I would say busyness. Listen, if the devil can't tempt you to sin, he will try to keep you busy with distraction, and even good things can rob us of that which is best. Oswald Chambers wrote this, The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. The one aim of the call of God is the satisfaction of God, not a calling to do something for him. Now, in New York, we wear busyness like a badge of honor, right? How are you? I'm busy, man. I'm, I'm busy, right? But beware of times in your life 
when you become so busy that you can't spend time alone with Jesus. Next, I would say pride. If it all becomes about us instead of Jesus, watch out. Beware of pride in your life that comes with success. Remember this, God will not share his glory with another. And then idolatry. We talked about that last week, right? For many, if it serves their purposes and their appetites to think of God in a certain way, we're more likely to define God in that way so that he'll fit in with our purposes. Many manufacture their own God, and that's idolatry. But when you manufacture and you, you serve your own God, you miss out with a relationship with the God of the universe. And so some questions we need to ask in our lives, have I placed anything in my life before Jesus? Are your possessions or your activities or, or your relationships, even, even good relationships, right? Are they getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus? Stop and look at what your life says about your heart because in any relationship, it always comes back to the heart. It always comes back to the heart. And so you can know a relationship with a living God. You can experience God in your life by seeking him, loving him, praying, waiting on him, obeying him, trusting him in all things, living with a reverential fear of God, but keep yourself from distorted views of who you are and who God is. Keep yourself from apathy that comes with the comforts of life. Keep yourself from independence. Stay dependent on God every day. And please, please deal aggressively with sin in your life. Cut it out, okay? It's a cancer that will rob you of God's best busyness. Again, beware of those times that you're so busy you, you can't afford to spend time with Jesus. Beware of pride and idolatry. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 is Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus. This is the first of seven exhortations to these churches in the Roman Empire. And the Christians in Ephesus, they face some unique challenges. If you study the church in Ephesus, because Ephesus was the home to the emperor's cult, uh, the worship of the Greek goddess Artemis. And, and so because of these influences, the Ephesian believers had developed great discernment, right? When it came to false teaching, when it came to heresy, they could spot it, they could recognize it. And Christ commends them for their discernment, but he faulted them for something else. Revelation 2 verse 4, he says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me. Or love each other as you did at first. He says, here's my only complaint. You've forgotten your first love. And so church, I've given you this checklist, if you will, for knowing God, for experiencing him in your life, but also realize today, I also realize this in my teaching, in my preaching, that unless God does something in your life, this is just going to be a checklist. And you'll miss out on a relationship with the living God. In the end, he wants your heart. He wants your affection. And I, I can challenge you in this way today. I can put these things before you, but I can't make you love Jesus. And, and so I've been praying this week for you. I hope that's okay. I've been praying as I was preparing this message, and the Spirit of the Lord brought Ephesians 1 to mind. Paul was praying for the same church in Ephesus. Maybe he saw what John would write in Revelation, but here's his prayer, and it's my prayer for you today. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart 
enlightened, the eyes of your heart. That's an unusual expression, isn't it? See, Paul recognizes that to see things clearly, we need not just intellectual clearness, but we need moral understanding. We need to have a heart for the things of God. Our hearts need light, right? Because it can be such a dark place. I know I need more of the light of God in my heart and my life. We need the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, to counter the blindness of our heart that so often controls us. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his good, good, glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Listen, today I know I have my limitations. Anyone with me? In high school, I wasn't the best athlete. I could compete, but I was never going to get a scholarship. I wasn't the best student. Like, I was okay, but never valedictorian status. Some of you can relate. Others of you, praise God for you. But maybe you're here and, and you're older and you, you're just really beginning to know who God is. And maybe today you feel like, well, what do I have to give? Listen, there is great power available to those who believe. Immeasurable power. And so I want to pray for you today that the eyes of your heart would be open to see Jesus, to, to see the power that is at work in your life, the same power that raised Jesus from the, from the dead. There is so much power available to you that the enemy wants to keep you from. But you will never pursue God the way you need to unless you first have that love for God. Would you stand with me this, this morning? I want to close with a story, and then these altars are going to be open. Listen, I, I know it's late, but we got time. We got time, okay? We got time. And, and if that's your prayer today, that the eyes of your heart would be open to, to see Jesus more, to desire him more, to love him more, then in just a moment, I want you to run to these altars. I want you to get ready to move even right now. I heard a story of a young disciple of Christ, and he was desirous to become all that God wanted him to be. And so he heard about this older Christian. And he said, I'm going to go visit this guy because he heard, man, this old man, he's never lost his love for Jesus over all these years. So he gets to the house of the elderly man and he was sitting on the porch with his dog. He's taking in the sunset. And the young man sits down next to him and he poses this question. He says, why is it that most Christians zealously chase after God for the first year or two after their conversion, but then they fall into just complacent ritual. They just go to church once or twice a week and they don't look any different than their neighbors who aren't even Christians. And he said to the old man, I've heard you're not like that. I, I've been told that you fervently sought God throughout your years, that people see something in you that they don't see in most people who call themselves Christians. And he said to him, what makes you different? The old man smiled, replied, said, let me tell you a story. He says, one day I was sitting here quietly in the sun with my dog. 
And suddenly a large white rabbit ran across the yard in front of us. He says, well, my dog jumped up and took off after that rabbit, and he chased that rabbit with a passion. And he's barking like crazy, and so other dogs heard him barking, and they're attracted by the barking, and what a sight it was. They joined in the chase. And there's this pack of dogs running through the creeks and the embankments and through the thickets and the thorns. But then he says this, gradually, however, one by one, the other dogs dropped out of the pursuit. They were discouraged by the course. They were frustrated by the chase. And then he says this, only my dog continued to pursue the white rabbit. He said, in that story, young man, lies the answer to your question. The young man sat for a moment in confused silence. Finally, he said, sir, I'm sorry. I don't understand. What is the connection between a white rabbit chase and a quest for God, he says, you failed to understand because you failed to ask the obvious question, and that is, why didn't the other dogs continue in the chase? And the answer to that question is, they had not seen the rabbit for themselves. Listen, unless you see the prize, the chase is too difficult. You, you will lack the passion and the determination necessary to keep up the chase. And so I want to ask you this morning with heads bowed around this room, have you seen the Lord? Have you seen Jesus for yourself? One of my father's favorite songs was simply said this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Beloved, have you seen the Lord? Have you seen the Lord? Are you committed to the cost of following him? Are you willing to keep your eye on the prize? And I'm not talking about the prize of heaven, but the prize of the one who will get you there. Are you willing to keep your eyes and keep your focus on Jesus? Is your spirit this morning yearning for a deeper relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus? Again, right now to move towards these altars. If you say, I just want to know him more. I, I want to know him deeper. I want to desire him more. Even Paul said, I, I want to know him more. I want to know Christ in, in a deeper way as you come. Some of our elders or deacons just going to come and lay a hand on you. We're just going to pray that the Spirit of God would impart something to you in this moment that would allow you to see Jesus in a greater way. And when you see Jesus, that changes everything as we worship. Just begin to move out towards these altars. Some of you need to move. Just begin to move. Just begin to move even right now towards these altars. Hallelujah.